Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to the Talent Intelligence Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave. I am the enablement partner here at Solutions Driven and, well, hosting my first ever episode alone. So uh, no pressure. Um, this could go very badly. We'll see. <laughs> we have a big topic to uh, to talk about today, though, which is that kind of intersection between sales and recruitment, the, the cold outreach that we all have to do, whether that's to talk to prospective clients or prospective candidates and we're joined by Christina Finseth who is well a bit of an expert on on both sides of that really um so yeah if you want to maybe tell us a bit about yourself Christina before we dive into to a few questions yeah Dave well first I feel super special that I am a solo <laughs> episode I'm going to try to live up to a, a high standard for you um but yeah, for anyone who's tuning in and uh, has not met me before, uh, my name is Christina Finseth, as Dave mentioned, and I currently lead growth marketing for a recruiting outreach platform called Interseller um, that was recently acquired by Greenhouse, which is kind of exciting. Um, but to that effect, I also work very closely with recruiters and sellers um, to help optimize and really uh, fine-tune their outreach and outbound strategy because let's face it if you're in recruiting the market is hot right now but it's 10 million times harder to get people's attention on both sides right so yep. I think uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into this topic today with you yeah yeah you're absolutely right that the market is you know crazy um you know but like you say it is it's taking more attempts to get that reply but it's also taking standing out as well um and i don't think we necessarily spend enough time in the kind of recruitment world talking about how you do that or how best to do that because you can stand out and it be you know for the wrong reasons <laughs> um Absolutely. so a few things we kind of talk to just to get your kind of top tips i suppose um and if i move my head too much you will notice david bowie appearing behind me so uh, he'll join us in a second i'm sure um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about the top tips for getting through to, you know, whether that's candidates or potential clients or both, you know, a lot of recruiters out there do, do both sides of that. We're lucky enough here to, to split that process up. If you were to kind of distill that into a couple of maybe two or three just kind of best practices, you know, that, that you may follow yourselves into seller or you recommend to your clients, you know, where, where do you start? in understanding how to get better at that, how to increase that reply rate or that positive reply rate. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest piece there is, you know, being able to have visibility into your data. So whatever you're using for that, um, and opens aren't the end all be all, but you need to be able to track, even if it's manually for right now, um, where you're getting replies, right? So I think first having a process and a way to, uh, to, to tune into data is really important. And when I say having a process, I think sometimes, you know, if I think back to the first five, six years of my career, when I was in recruitment, it was kind of, it's not like I had a documented process of here are the seven steps I'm going to follow to reach out to candidates. It's I'm going, oh, wow, I need a backend engineer. I'm going to go on to a job board. I'm going to look for those people who match my skill set. And I'm just going to send them all a message. And then maybe a couple of days later, I might try to follow up if I didn't get enough responses in that first one, right? So there's this kind mm -hmm. of like one and done blast, unfortunately, that a lot of recruiters follow, myself included early on, right? So 
I think having a process, right? If we can just start kind of somewhere rudimentary here, have a process and know that day one, you're going to send an email. Day two, you're going to connect on LinkedIn. You know, day four, you're going to send your follow-up emails for those who didn't reply. You can run that manually or with the enablement of tech. It doesn't matter. But having a process is really important. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it's, you know, cadences, sequences, whatever we want to call them, are something that the sales world is full of. And, you know, we're all trying to figure out what's the best cadence, what step should go where. Recruiters aren't, I think, necessarily known for, you know, that that process. You know, we all like to be very process driven, but perhaps not on the, the outreach side of things um, to accidentally name a platform you could be using. Um, <laughs> no sponsor. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's interesting. We talk in sales a lot about personalization. And I think yeah. from a, a candidate's perspective, that can be challenging because, you know, you might be working from a long list of, of, you know, 90 or 100 people. So to personalize 90 or 100 emails or LinkedIn messages or, you know, whatever you're contacting people is, is tough. How would you recommend people tackle that issue of personalization? Because, you know, that's always going to increase the reply rate. So how do you do that at yeah. scale? Yeah, Not an easy question to answer, but... <laughs> It's not. And I have a few different thoughts here. Um, and I'll try to kind of organize these few thoughts that I have. But, you know, first and foremost, I feel like as recruiters, sellers, you know, whatever side of the fence you're on, we have this innate feeling of needing to punch everything into that first touch. Why we're reaching out, who we are, what we do, how we can help you, what are the problems we solve. Um, and it, it really it's hard because you don't have to explain all that, right? And that's where personalization also kind of feeds in. You need to think of it, uh, your cadence or your outreach process as kind of a story that you're telling and unfolding over time, right? And if you spill everything and heck, if you send an entire job spec or job description as your email three times, you're losing out, right? You've got to figure out ways to package that in a way that makes it um, very clear for the recipient to know what's in it for them and not necessarily just this regurgitation, right? So I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of start there first because that was on my mind. But I will also say, you said, how can you personalize and then scale that? I will argue that some of the best performing tactics are not necessarily scalable at the beginning, right? I think there is an element of personalization can sometimes take a little bit longer in the beginning, right? Because you're trying to find your rhythm. You're trying to figure out what order of places you should be looking for this research to personalize. And it's really easy to get into a rabbit hole. But I will tell you first and foremost, after training a lot of people on that process of where should I research so that I avoid the rabbit hole, um, how should I personalize in a building block fashion so that I'm, I'm, I'm working smarter, not harder. I have an email template. Maybe there's two sentences that you personalize and the rest is kind of standard, right? You have the same call to action. Um, but people overthink it. And really it could be as simple as segmentation-based personalization. And what I mean by that is Let's narrow down, if you're looking for Java engineers in a very specific geography, so let's just say New York City for the sake of this example, um, maybe even a specific part of New York City if it's an office, right? Even getting that granular to Java, a very specific location, not just this mass blast across the world is going to help you. 
but it could be mm -hmm. as simple as, Hey, I saw, I saw that you're, you know, currently working as a Java engineer at XYZ company. If you have to get that like kind of standardized, that's okay too. If you can't find something better to personalize on like content they're posting or things like that. Yeah. But yeah. I think, you know, some of the best things aren't scalable at first. <laughs> and yeah, quality versus quantity for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a great point. And I suppose it's the difference between personalization versus relevance. You know, you can hyper personalize something with information that is just not relevant to why you want to talk to them, which can be a bit creepy, maybe. <laughs> and I think, you know, speaking from a sales background, you know, it's really easy to do that. You refer to the university somebody went to when you're trying to tell them, you know, I want to talk to you about your recruitment challenges. There's not, there's a disconnect there. The two don't match up. Whereas, like you say, if you're just telling someone I'm looking for something specific and I think you meet those criteria, yep. that's, that's personal. You know, that's, that's clear that you've done a bit of research, you know who they are, um, which is half the battle really, I suppose. Um, yeah. Now you spoke, when we kind of caught up before, agreeing to, to record today's episode, we, we spoke or you mentioned something called the FIRE framework, which I'm really intrigued about, which seems to be the process that, that kind of whether you use it still or, or you've used in the past, but that brings together everything you've been talking about so far, Christina. So without giving away too many of your secrets, how, how does that work? Yeah, so the FIRE framework is equal parts kind of mindset shift on what a good sales or recruiting email looks like. Um, side note, you're not really saying anything about you or your product or your service or anything like that. It's really to generate a ticket to a conversation um, mm -hmm. and it's equal parts execution. And so I think some of the things that are really important is um, I have been able through data as well to reach out to people and literally say zero about the company that I'm reaching out from and because we are in, you know, we're consumers, a lot of us are very modern, tapped into technology. What do we do when we're gonna purchase something on Amazon for the first time? That's a little bit of a bigger purchase. We go and we look at reviews on our own. We come to our own conclusions and we take that context to decide whether or not we're gonna buy that product, right? It's the same thing with cold outreach. You're supposed to generate enough curiosity without giving away the whole shebang, without making it a sales pitch or a recruiting pitch. And nine times out of 10, that candidate or that prospect is going to do their own research because you generated curiosity. So they're gonna say, oh, who's Intercell? Oh, who's Solutions Driven? What, what do they do? Ah, they connect the dots and then it's a psychological switch. I'm then as the prospect making the decision to say, okay, I know what they do. This is a really interesting message. I know what they do. And I'm going to write them back and say, hey, it looks like you guys are doing this. And I, I am looking for this right now. Can we have a chat? You didn't sell me on anything, but you got me curious yeah. because you made the messages all about me and they're all value-added messages. I think the other very unique part of the um, Outbound Fire Framework, and this is something that I structure irrelevant of that kind of approach of not selling or building relevancy is it's multi-channel. And I think recruiters need to be more multi-channel, you know, whether they're reaching out on GitHub, whether they're reaching out on LinkedIn. Um, I think the more you can get good 
or proficient at multiple channels of reaching out to candidates or prospects, the more opportunities you're gonna scoop up. So it's important to have email, social selling, and cold calling kind of all woven into that mix. So I think those are kind of the key components just to, without yeah. giving too much away, but you can dig deeper. I'll give some yeah, secrets away. It's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, don't give it all away. But no, I, I think that's that's amazing. And we, I read a really interesting statistic last week. I think it was, was Andy Paul, um, who's a kind of sales enablement um, expert that I follow on LinkedIn, was talking about how about 85% of prospects, so this is more from a sales perspective, will view the person who's trying to contact them on LinkedIn's profile before they choose to reply. And candidates are exactly the same. If the percentage is as high as 85% in a sales environment, it's probably higher in a recruitment environment, I would expect. So, you know, educated guests there don't have the data behind it. But it's, I think, even more important for that person to understand why is that person looking at my profile? Why are they emailing me? Why are they finding me on these other platforms I'm active on professionally? Um, so that's all about building that relevance. And something we talk about internally a lot is how difficult it is right now to turn curiosity into engagement from a candidate's perspective. You can create curiosity in your cold outreach. When you're talking to them is when you create the engagement. So I think everything you've just explained is exactly you know, what I think people should be looking at to, to do. Um, so in terms of, you know, let's not get into too many of your secrets here, Christina, and how you do things, okay. but I'm intrigued by a couple of things. We talk about multi-channel. So mm -hmm. recruiters, I think, stereotypically, very, very focused on LinkedIn. And I'm a little bit obsessed with LinkedIn myself, so I think that's fine, but <laughs> I've noticed. Um, being multi-channel is all about being where your candidates are in the same way that for a salesperson is being where your prospects are. So how do you shift that? How do you figure that out in terms of, you know, it could be if you're hiring for a specific role, you mentioned GitHub, great for developers, for example. So how do you build that market knowledge to understand, okay, I need to be multi-channel here, which channels and why? Yeah, I mean, listen, I always go back to just kind of the, the high level multi-channel, which is there should be some sort of emailing, duh. Yep. That's like the big <laughs> right? There should be some sort of cold calling. So those two are irrelevant of where your prospects live, right? Mm -hmm. Email and cold calling. The other piece is where do those candidates spend a lot of their time? I default back to engineers because I used to hire um, Ruby on Rails engineers back oh, in the okay. day and um, almost none of them were active on LinkedIn right like in a perfect world all of our prospects and all of our candidates are oversharing on LinkedIn super <laughs> active and really engaged but let's just be real um, they're not right so I ended up going to GitHub a lot and you know a lot of what I would end up doing is when we talk about that personalization, well, guess what? They're not sitting there telling about themselves, right? They're telling about themselves in a different way, which is through the projects that they have, right, on GitHub. So you could build a very easy template for a first touch that feels like it's just to you, Dave. So maybe it's, hey, uh, hey, Dave, saw your profile on GitHub, loved your project on XYZ, right? Thought I'd reach out. I'm working with a client on this really cool job where they're building, you know, the future of whatever. It's tying them to that mission, trying to get them excited, 
right? And then mm-hmm. you go into, I think that this could be a good fit for your next move. Are you open to discussing new opportunities right now? Are you open-minded to that, right? Just a quick conversation. So that's kind of how I like to try to structure it. But going back to that, use whatever you can. If your people are more active on Twitter, you can infuse that into your, your uh, message. Hey, saw your tweet about, you know, whatever, uh, how hard it is to get through an interview process nowadays. Yeah, I totally agree. We're not like that. I'm working on this job. Here's the interview process. Transparently, here are the steps in it. Let's chat, you know, if you're interested. So I think there's just different things. I think the biggest thing is when I think of outreach and when I'm training my team and training other people, I think of it in terms of you have to have the framework, but that framework has to have different pockets of creativity that you can infuse so that it's you. And it sounds like you and you're making it, you know, about that candidate or that prospect. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you have those parameters in place, it makes it really easy to kind of plug and play and have fun in the process. So you're not getting burnt out, just running the same type of stuff all the time. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, easily done. <laughs> easily easily done. done. We've all yes. been there. <laughs> yes. So a couple of other kind of little angles we can take from that then there's this one we'll get to in a moment about geography which you hinted at a little bit there Christina but you also talked about bringing some personality being yourself to your outreach and something I certainly see just sitting as someone who works in sales on LinkedIn and therefore gets several messages every week um, about positions typically they are very formal they're led by a job description um, and they're not particularly engaging Um, Now, I like to think we do that a little bit differently here, but I think people are maybe a little bit afraid about bringing their personality to that kind of cold outreach. You know, there's there's the idea of mirroring, which, you know, in sales we try to do, we try to sound like our prospects, but in cold outreach, you don't have that opportunity yet. Some of your personalization research can give you some of that, but what would you say to someone who's maybe, you know, got that formal, very business-like writing style that, you know, how, how do they kind of relax a little, let's say. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think the biggest thing is you need to simplify. If you are a heavy writer and you like to use more formal language, simplification is not going to hurt whether or not you sound um, serious or not, or formal or not. You can simplify it language. And so if (laughs) that's huge, right. And Will Allred from Lavender and I talk about this all the time. It's just when we're rewriting emails, a lot of it, it just comes in simplifying, right. Not using things like, I think you'd be a great fit, you know, or things that are unsure in your language too, because that can come across as, um, your confidence is lacking, that you might not be a subject matter expert in your particular field or the particular types of candidates that you recruit for, you have to sound a little bit more certain. But I will also argue until I'm blue in the face that everybody laughs. I don't care if you are in the C-suite or you're an entry-level employee. Sometimes that pattern interrupt of breaking some of your follow-ups up with humor or adding a GIF or something like that can really get people to take pause and respond back. The other part is you can't win everyone over with the same approach, right? Inherently, you already have to accept the fact that some people are going to get pissed off when you reach out. And it doesn't matter if you are formal. It doesn't matter if you send a gift. Things work for different folks and different strokes for different folks, right? So 
Yeah. I think that's why it's important to have that multi-channel approach. Try to weave in different types of outreach, whether you know, you're a little bit more direct in one of your follow-ups, maybe you're a little bit more short and sweet. It's an iterative test testing process. You have to keep yep. testing and see what the data is showing you. Um, you know, I, Will and I were talking this morning because we were recording a video and we were talking about how subject lines in particular are very subjective from team to team because performance for, for mine, I only like to use two or three words in a subject line, but there are people who get opens off of like six, seven, eight word subject lines, but it works for them. Yeah. You just have to test. Don't be afraid to test. And if you're, the data is telling you, okay, I've got like six people who are pissed off at me because I sent this and I've only reached out to nine. Well, then you probably need to pivot, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's telling <laughs> you, you something. probably need to pivot. But yeah. But if it's <laughs> one in like a hundred people, that's like, I don't appreciate this method of reaching out yeah. to me, but you have five other candidates who are like, oh my gosh, you totally just made me laugh. I love this. Let's okay. Let's chat, you know? Yeah. And okay, that doesn't matter, right? Yeah, no, no, completely agree. Completely agree. I was wondering if you'd bring up lavender as well, because we'll we'll come to that at the end. I yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan. Let's put it that way. Um, again, not sponsored, um, but yeah, I think it, you're right. I think simplification is huge. Um, as something just personally, I've been working on a lot over the last kind of five or six months, and it's unbelievable how sort of subconsciously complicated your writing can be if you're just kind of typing away and not really thinking about it because you know you understand what you're writing you've got to put yourself yeah. in the the other the recipient's shoes i suppose um and, yes. and simplify there's one tip actually i read a few weeks ago which was if you're having trouble simplifying some of your outreach then dictate it you know speak it into your phone listen back to it does it yeah. sound like you when it's when it's coming back i thought that was a really good tip um, you hinted at another thing a little bit earlier, Christina, about, you know, wherever your prospects or your candidates may live. Um, and when we first spoke, we, we thought about maybe exploring the differences in terms of perhaps North America versus Europe and, and you know, tech adoption, yeah. outreach styles. It's something we certainly see huge differences in, um, you know, in massively generalizing to put Europe in, in one category and North America in the other as well, in that Europe is, you know, a couple of dozen countries. but. Do you have much kind of experience looking into that data and how things differ from one to the other? Yeah, and just having conversations with quite a few customers and just friends even that are in, you know, EMEA specifically. Mm. Um, I hate to say this about my North American people right now, but leaps and bounds in progression of like tech adoption and recruitment process and being willing to try really creative things. I feel like um, me is a little bit above on that. Um, now with that said, I think what often happens here and what I'm seeing a huge rising of in North America is, you know, a lot of the tech startups or the really fast growing tech startups um, have really flipped the script on what recruiting looks like. And a lot of bigger orgs are starting to adopt that and have been adopting that. And it's this idea of outbound driven recruitment, right? And they're following more creative tactics and very specific processes for trying to get the attention of candidates for hard to fill roles, for those really niche roles, for those highly passive candidates. But you still see a good amount of companies that are just 
posting and praying. They're more transactional in nature, um, whether it's because they're doing volume recruiting or because, um, you know, they just don't know any better, right? They're spraying and praying. There's a lack of training um, and how to really craft an outbound approach to getting in front of candidates specifically. Um, and so those are some of the conversations I love having because when a company has bought into that from the top down, it gets really exciting because now you have teams that are broken up that way and their sourcing team is really that outbound engine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see way too often just so many people who aren't trained and who just don't know any better than, oh, okay, I have a job. Let me do an intake with the hiring manager and then let me post this and yeah. see what happens, right? Or maybe I post a LinkedIn post about it, sharing the job and see what happens. That's kind of the extent, either because they don't have time or they don't have the right training. Yeah, or an element of both. I mean, certainly something we've seen over, you know, the, the last, last what, four, five, six months as the markets got crazier and crazier is companies who had certain positions they could almost rely on inbound applications to fill and then others yeah. that were more challenging. And that's where their internal recruiters spent their time. Those ones that they used to be able to fill with, you know, dozens and dozens of inbound applications, those applications are just not coming anymore. And it's because of how candidate driven the market is, you know, all of these things everyone's talking about, the great resignation, great reprioritization, whatever you want to call it. So the method of outreach, I think is huge. Um, something I know we use internally, both on a sales and a recruitment side is, is video. Um, yep. you know, dropping in, whether it's Vidyard or Drift or, you know, any of the other platforms that you can use for that. Is that something, you know, you would advocate using? How, how would you think that fits into an outreach sequence? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts around video. I don't do a whole lot of it. It's not my favorite thing to do. Mm. I mean, I put out a lot of video on LinkedIn, but it's more as kind of that inbound attractor, mm. right? Um, when you're using it in outreach, I think there is a place for it, but just like with copy and text it's how you're using it um yeah. and when you're using it and so i think if you're using it as a follow-up not an initial message i think that is key because of deliverability right if you <laughs> see that i wrote you a message dave and you didn't you didn't respond but i do know that you opened it that means yeah. you probably saw it which means my deliverability is good and i could probably send a video next right the <laughs> video as much as it takes time try to personalize that video. And I'm not talking about the really kitschy stuff that people have caught on to now, where it's like, I've written your name <laughs> on this piece name. of paper, but it's a personalization <laughs> token. I'm talking about like, actually speak to that person. Hey, Dave, man, I just dug into your project on GitHub on, you know, whatever. And I had to like, send you this video real fast. If you didn't see my first message, here's what I'm looking for. And I think this could be a good fit for your next role if you're looking for it, right? So I think video can come into play really well there. I think LinkedIn is also a very unused or not fully <laughs> tapped channel for dropping in video or voice notes. Voice notes, I was going to say, yeah. Oh, I am like passionate about voice notes. Um, I've booked plenty of meetings this year just off of voice notes because people are still delighted by them. Um, they're yeah. like, wait, I didn't even know you could get a voice note. Um, yeah. And it yeah. solves for the problem of needing data uh, for mobile numbers, right? If you have, True. if you're prospecting an audience uh, that, that is on LinkedIn, you know, that could be really helpful. 
Oh, definitely. The, the voice notes are interesting. I'm getting quite a few of them at the moment. Um, I wish they would allow you to, you know, not have to pick up your phone to record one. <laughs> if you could just speak into, you know, my little microphone here, I think that would be uh, that would be the next next level on that. So you could just be sitting at your desk doing it. But um, but yeah, they're, they're a growing thing. But I think there's always trends, isn't there? With you know, video was the last one. Maybe voice notes the thing now, and you'll see kind of response rates and things and the success of them increasing and then they'll reach a critical mass where it you know yep. it's no longer the new thing and yep. that's why exactly as you've said Christina you've got to have that multi-channel approach you've got to vary what you're doing whether you're looking for candidates or prospects because you know it's not all always going to work you know you need to well test and test again um you know to to make sure it's still working for you and, and adapt if it's not um yeah. So yeah, a couple of things to finish up on. I think this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, you mentioned very early on, it's not all about opens and vanity metrics are a, a huge thing that uh, I think everybody is aware of. You know, if 95% of the people you email are opening them, but 5% are replying, there's, there's something wrong there. You've got a great subject line maybe, but you know, the, the content of your email is, is not doing it. So, you know, whether you're doing it manually, as you suggested, or you've, you are lucky enough to have a tool to do that, what, what do you recommend are the most important kind of two or three things to make sure that you are testing and you're monitoring from, from a metrics perspective? Yeah, I mean, listen, I like to work from desired outcome backwards when I'm looking at metrics, and I'll give kind of the quick philosophy on this. First and foremost, the cream of the crop, I don't care if you're a recruiter or you're a seller, is am I getting conversations from this? And by conversations, I mean, are we getting a booked meeting for us to get to do some discovery, right? Whether it's on the candidate or, or selling side. So I like to see personally, I set the bar pretty high because I think quite frankly, we all set it too low. Recruiting side is gonna be different than what I would expect from the selling side. For the selling okay. side, I like to see 5% plus booked meetings. For us internally at my company, 10% plus booked meetings. Wow. We're talking about 10% conversion to book meetings. So every 100 people you reach out to. Okay, so we're them. talking conversion from messages delivered, not messages opened or messages replied to. We're talking, we're talking about you know, five to 100. Messaged, prospects wow, messaged. Okay. I want to see five of those 100. If you're getting two, two to four of that 100, that's still really good on the selling side. On the recruiting side, I really think that that should be a little bit higher. I'd say you should be looking at, you know, I mean, some of the clients that I work with are getting like 30 to 60% replies and booked meetings off of their outreach. But again, it depends on what your target audience is and, and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, from a And then I'm like, okay, if those are happening, I could give two craps less if my open rate is 30% if I'm getting a high conversion on my booked meetings. Same with replies. If I'm not getting booked meetings, then I'm looking at, okay, what's my reply rate? If my reply rate is sub 10%, something may be off that's not winning them over in that message. And I probably want to go ahead and try to iterate. If I'm getting, mm -hmm. you know, 10% plus reply rates on a sales campaign, that's good. But let's not like let's um uh what's the word let's set realistic expectations with ourselves there and let's really be honest with ourselves if that 10 percent plus replies is you know more than half of it is an unsubscribe or like a remove <laughs> me or a negative yeah. sentiment that doesn't count let's talk about positive sentiment even if it's hey loved your message but 
I'm not interested right now. That's okay. Yeah. That's you're still getting good replies. Now, if that's not happening though, then I start to look at opens. And if opens are sub 50% and you, none of the rest of that's happening, then I start thinking that it could be a deliverability issue. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe my subject line isn't good. Um, those are the kinds of things that I start looking at diagnostically. Uh, but if there's a high amount of opens and none of that stuff's happening, then my subject line's good, deliverability is good, but my message is falling flat, right? Yeah. And so I think there's just a whole lot of different variables that when you're looking at your data will help you diagnose what's going on, whether it's positive or potentially negative, but you also have to give it enough time to truly understand that data, even if there are early indicators. So a hundred people, whether it's prospects or candidates, should be enough for you to make a good data inference on whether or not to continue moving or iterate. And I'm talking about 100 people going through your whole cadence, whatever yeah. that might be. So it's kind of how I try to look at it. I could probably yeah. go deeper, but let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a really, really useful kind of actionable point for us to finish up on, actually, because, um, yeah, exactly like you say, start, start at the desired outcome. I think that's a fantastic tip. You know, if, if you're not getting meetings, that's when you can start to look at everything else. But actually, if, you know, five, six, seven of every hundred people you're reaching out to want to talk to you from a sales perspective, probably, you know, 20 or 30 from a recruitment perspective, then you're doing something right and keep doing it, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Dave, before we wrap up, I mean, I don't know. I know this is probably going to have some video component to it as well. I have a rewrite of a recruiting email I can briefly show oh, if we have time. I think we should definitely we do that. All this right. is now for anyone who hasn't watched Christina and Will Orridge from Lavender. Firstly, go find them on LinkedIn because the stuff they do is amazing. But this <laughs> is is always good to watch. Yeah, so I just put out a blog post for our company on a recruiting email. And so let me just start with the original real fast. Um, this just to give you some context. This is a recruiting agency that I won't name, <laughs> obviously. Uh, Better not be us. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, the recruiting for a senior manager role in the biotech industry. It's a pretty niche focused, what I would consider yep. a hard to fill role. Um, and so this was the original email. Uh, yep, it's me again, the pesky recruiter looking for an experienced senior manager in a specialized area to join a growing biotech organization in the Northeast. In this role, you'll provide leadership and oversight for blank through the development and implementation of the overall blank strategic plan. Working closely with the executive team, you'll identify quality issues as well as maintain a robust program for complaints, product recalls, product retrievals. You'll also approve and review all QMS documentation to include controlled documents, such forth. Are you open to chatting? Please call me at, here's my number, or click the link below to schedule an appointment. I'll tell you what's wrong with this email. <laughs> Links. Length is a big thing. It's also just written in a very heavy, dense way with a lot of large words that come obviously from the job description, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's really no keen sense of like, what's in it for this person? They know what some things of what they'd be responsible for, but what's gonna get them excited? Um, and mm -hmm. then I, I've gone into this a lot, but I'm not a big fan of having scheduling links. In an email, I'm much more of a fan of using that behind the scenes to really navigate a time that works. Yep. Um, yep. But to get into the rewrite real fast, because 
just for the sake of time. This is how I would rewrite it. Hi, Dave, I'm just gonna use you. Saw your experience in specific, you know, uh, skill set. Mm -hmm. thought I'd reach out. I'm working with a growing clinical stage biotech company looking to add an experienced senior manager to their leadership team. The company is on a mission to develop a, and this is a type of drug, impacting, creating, and driving a better quality of life. So I'm bringing in that mission because this might be something that's important to that person is that they're working for a mission mm -hmm. and purpose that they relate to. And this role will have full ownership and leadership over the blank program, approving and reviewing. I just throw in a couple different things, right? Because now I can add more stuff into my follow-up. You know, oh, and here's a little bit more on the job yeah. stack if you're interested. Any interest in having a no pressure chat about this opportunity? That's it. And the biggest difference is the brevity. I'm trying to get the candidate excited, maybe pulling yep. up some heartstrings. So I just kind of wanted to share how I would, how I think about yeah. a rewrite in the sense of a first touch. No, that's amazing. And I think, I think the first one, you know, may capture some interest from active job speakers. Mm -hmm. It's not going to pull in that, that passive candidate, that person who's in a secure job and there's no thinking about moving. The rewrite, that's who you're targeting there. You know, the active job seeker will find you if you're relevant. It's the, the passive candidate who might well be better, you know, suited to the position that that rewrite is, is looking to talk to, um, which is ultimately for those tough to fill roles that we're, we're always talking about. That's what you need to do. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And I highly recommend going and check out those uh, those videos as well. Um, but before we finish up, where else can people find you, Christina? I know you, well, you're all over LinkedIn. So that's the first place yes. I would go. <laughs> I'm very approachable. So please, please feel free to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Just let me know that you came from this podcast, you know, that way uh, I can kind of yep. connect the dots with some context, but yeah, connect with me. LinkedIn is probably the best place to find everything that you want to find about me or anything that I'm working on. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope there's been, you know, some genuinely actionable tips for everybody there. And, uh, it's something I don't think we talk about enough in, in recruitment circles is that initial outreach, you know, you build a short list or a long list, even of a hundred candidates, how do you get as many of them as possible to talk to you? And I think we've, you know, you've given us some, some really useful talking points there as well. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening slash watching everybody. And thanks again to Christina. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem.